The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. There are so many challenges involved in the college process, including choosing the right college, planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton. Welcome, everyone, to today's episode of Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. I'm Sally Ganga, and I'm filling in for Beth Heaton, the regular host. Ian Fisher, our other guest host, will be filling in next week. Now on to today. Our second segment will be with Amy Alexander, former admissions officer at Yale and former college varsity swimmer. We'll be talking about how to advise families with students who want to know how being a recruited varsity athlete in college might impact their admission prospects. During the third segment, I'll be talking with Lori Peltier, former senior financial aid officer at Beckley and Anna Maria Colleges, about the financial details of transitioning to college. But first, we'll have our schools out session, which means homework, so grab your pens and be ready to take notes. My guest, a member of the schools out team here at College Coach, will be Kira Tyler, former admissions officer at Brandeis College. We'll be discussing the essay writing process for college applications, following up on Kira's conversation with Ian Fisher, our guest host, on June 30th. Welcome, Kira. Thanks, Sally. Thanks for having me on. Oh, absolutely. Thanks so much for coming back. And I just wanted to sort of quickly summarize your homework from the last segment. Um, I thought it was great. You had asked students to brainstorm five attributes that describe them, but you also specified that they cannot use overused terms like determined, hardworking, or perseverant. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But everything else is fair game, which I thought was great. And then the next task was to think of a scenario that shows off at least three of those attributes. So that sounds about right to you? Yes, that's right. Okay, great. So hopefully since then, since it's been over a month, they've um, dived into the essay process and even have a rough draft sitting in front of them. And um, I admit that when I first thought about following up on your discussion with Ian, um, the one where you gave the homework that I just mentioned, I wasn't sure how to approach it because it's harder to counsel students on essays in a theoretical way when you don't have that essay in front of you. But I was Mm -hmm. thinking that we can probably identify patterns of mistakes or dead ends that students run themselves into when they're trying to write these essays. So, um, I mean, are there some common sort of dead ends that you encounter at this stage in the process after students have written a rough draft or two? Yes, there are. And I want to give a big shout out to those people who have already done some homework and have a a nice working draft. Um, And for those who are still waiting for lightning to strike, um, just go ahead and start. Um, But for those people who have already begun to work on a draft, um, one of the things that I see happen is um, that students get the tone um, wrong. So they may be, and Ian and I talked about this a tiny bit, 
during our conversation on June 30, but um, sometimes they don't get that it's a little bit more of a casual style and it's um, more narrative and it doesn't need a formal, you know, intro and conclude. Doesn't it's less stiff than what students may typically write for um, a, a high school English class, um, AP, IB, or otherwise. So I think that's one of the things that I see is kind of counseling students on loosening up the tone a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a, count, a conversational tone. This is not a school or an analytical essay. And that's something I run okay. into a lot, even with really smart students. You know, they're like, I've been writing these papers for four years. They've been getting A's. And suddenly you're telling me that I need to do this differently. Um, right. Yeah, yeah. So it I think it's tough really for them to hear that. I agree. And I even say to them, listen, don't call it a paper. It's not a school assignment. This is, you know, think of it as just a piece of personal writing. Um, And sometimes even that tiny bit of clarification, it's so small, right? But they're like, right, it isn't a paper. I'm just writing. Um, That can make them feel a little bit more at ease, a little bit more comfortable, a little bit more themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I always remind them you're not having to prove anything. You're just talking about yourself. And, right. uh, right. you know, sometimes with some students, I don't do this right off the bat, but with some students, I'll ask them to sort of talk me through their thoughts. And then I'm like, that's what you should write down, not what made it into your paper, but just how you talked about it to me was I really agree. vivid, was really interesting. So think about if you're writing a letter or an email to, a friend of yours, I, I mean, I know in a way I should say text, but texts are so terribly <laughs> written that I can't use that. So, you know, you know how sometimes you write emails, it doesn't happen very often. Well, imagine that. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, in terms of something else to be sort of cognizant of as you work through um, editing a draft is please make sure that you're answering the prompt. So, you know, sometimes kids get... Um, really stuck on, I'm going to write this. This is my topic. And I get it. It's something that's important to them, but it's not answering the question that they're being tasked um, with responding to. And so it comes off as very tone deaf. And, you know, as an admission officer, it would be hard for me to take that seriously because at its base level, the essay should answer the question. So I think mm-hmm. that's really, really critical. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the common ones that I see... Um, of those is when students are writing, they're answering the supplemental essays. Like, you know, one of the colleges is saying, tell, tell me why you're interested in this college. And right. instead, what I'll see them do is they'll explain why, they, why the college should admit them. So they're not answering right. the question. You know, they're sort of revisiting their resume instead of saying, I really liked College X because the science department looked amazing. I loved my tour guide who had great things to say about that science department. The students seemed smart, etc. Sure. Yeah, I agree. And just to sort of dovetail a tiny bit off of that valley, so I've been having, um, you know, conversations with my students, and one of them in particular is having a little bit of a hard time writing something like that that really speaks more to exactly what sets the school apart for him um, as an option as opposed to any other 
you know, in his case, sort of large public research university. And so I think that is really the trick is that if you're answering the prompt, it doesn't always mean that you can manipulate what you want to write to fit the prompt. Sometimes it really does mean you have to stretch a little bit, research a little bit in the case of a supplemental, go back to some notes that you may have taken, you know, during a campus visit. Um, but, you know, if that means answering the question better, then I really encourage students to take that extra effort and do so. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I always tell students, you don't have to be an expert, but you do have to show right. that you did do some research, that you've That's thought right. about this. You know, yeah. and that you're not just choosing a school based on location either. I mean, sometimes right. students are kind of answering the question, but they end up, you know, half the essay is about Boston or Manhattan, you know. Right. It's like a beautiful love letter to, you know, D.C. And you're like, oh, that's great. But there's so many other schools in D.C. Why exactly. <laughs> exactly. Why? What? <laughs> why are you applying to one of those other D.C. schools? Right. Because you haven't made that clear here at all. That's right. Yeah. So um, another one that I'm seeing really frequently is a repetition. And this goes in a few ways. So not just a repetition of ideas, but also a repetition of flat-out words and or phrases or sentence structure. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think sometimes this goes sort of hand-in-hand with tone that um, because we want it to be a little looser, um, a little more conversational, that we do want there to be some fluency and variety within the way that it's structured. So we do not want to see every sentence, you know, um, four sentences all come, you know, one after the other, I, I, I. Um, we would like for students to be able to figure out a more elegant and clever way to say it. Um, and so I'm seeing a lot of repetition, and that actually is pretty easy to suss out, um, you know, I think if students are willing to, to be a little more judicious with their editing hats. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And not just the I, which is a big one. And I tell students, yeah. don't worry about that in the first draft. Just get your ideas out on paper. But then, mm-hmm. yeah, then, you know, switch things up so you don't have, like you said, that I, I, I. But also there can be a repetition of ideas. Often, yeah. often students only have 250 words sometimes for the supplemental essays. And even the main mm-hmm. common app essay is 650 words. That's not a lot of space. So cut that repetition out. Agreed. And I, you know, I think sometimes too, and I, this is my own theory, so um, you don't have to play along, Sally, but okay. um, I, in my time, you know, doing admissions at Brandeis and then also here at College Coach, um, I sort of realized that I believe the ideal length for a common app essay is around 570 to 600 words, um, in that it's very often, um, that when a student writes right up to 650, that they've, it's too much. Um, again, this is my own informal theory, but um, I really do believe that because people see, well, we, if we get up to 650, they're going to jam stuff in there to get to 650, which is often a repetition. And so, um, you know, just because you have a suggested length doesn't mean you always have to go right up to the max. You don't want to go so far under that it feels like you're, you know, underprepared and you're underwhelming the reader, but um, you don't always have to press the max either. Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, one of the best essays I ever read was 500 words. And, yeah. you know, this student managed to really get all her ideas in, in those yeah. 500 words. And it was, yeah. you know, it was excellent. I mean, it was truly, right. I have read 
probably, I, I don't, you know, well over 30,000 essays, I think, you know, um, in my career, because I've been doing yeah. this for over 20 years. Um, sure. And uh, it was one of the better essays I'd ever read. So it is possible to do this in a pretty short amount of, of words. Right. I agree. Um, and then one other thing that um, I have noticed recently um, is there's a little bit of oversharing in essays from the perspective of, I think, students, and I understand it, right? They're thinking, but what about this? And this person doesn't know this about me. And my goodness, I have to put this in there. And what winds up happening is that it's overstuffed um, with too many details that are irrelevant. And even though you've been a dancer since you were four years old, we're not talking about that. We're talking about your recent dancing history. Um, And so, you know, I would say that students need to get comfortable pretty quickly with the idea that this process is not going to capture every essence of their being. Mm-hmm. And so the goal is to really try to put together an essay that does the student justice, makes them comfortable, makes them well-rounded and whole in a way that they can manage, um, hits all the high points, um, but is not. there's no way to capture all of it, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. It is okay. And I, and the essays that try to do that, I'm just going to reemphasize what you're saying here can often be really boring. Um, because right. it does, they have a lot of extraneous detail. And then what you're right. losing is that kind of, kind of overall sense of who the student is that you want to walk away with. I think what students need to realize is that generally speaking, we read these essays in a couple of minutes at the most. And what we're going to get from it is not all the details, but is kind of an overarching sense of the student. Like, right. you know, it's not going to be the details that stand out. It's going to be like a kind of broader um, one sentence summary of the story of the essay. So that's what they need to be thinking about getting across to us. Definitely. And to co-opt um, an internet acronym, or maybe for texting, see, this is how no, cool I am. But it's this whole FOMO, right? Fear of missing out. Right. For students, you're, we're going to miss out. It's okay. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Really? Mm-hmm. Okay. Leave the oversharing and the details for, you know, other ways in which you express yourself and communicate. Mm-hmm. And I always, I always try and get students to remember that the essay needs to stand alone as a good piece. But right. at the same time, so if, you've, if you're throwing in a lot of stuff that's unconnected, they're going to think you're a bad writer. They don't think that this is, they might know that it's a deliberate choice, but ultimately it means that you're not a good writer because you're throwing in a lot of extraneous detail. And have some faith in the application. Have faith that th- these colleges are going to see your list of activities as well. And in right. most cases, they're also going to see a counselor recommendation. In the sure. more selective okay. cases, they're going to see one to two recommendations. There are other sources of information. So right. I completely agree. Thank you. Yeah. 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 No, I'm with you. And it is it is interesting to kind of think of, you know, where that comes from. And in all honesty, while sometimes it comes from the students, I find that sometimes it comes from the parents, too. You know, they're sort of very anxious that we know how special their particular individual snowflake is. And, you know, (laughs) they they loved that their kids started piano when they were five is very special to that parent. And that parent 
loved that five-year-old and thinks that we should love that five-year-old too. And it's very hard to tell them we're really only interested in what they've been doing since ninth grade. <laughs> you know? Right. No, it's true. And as the mother of a six-year-old, I will keep that in mind. But I, I'm giving you a virtual high-five, Sally, because okay. you're right. I think, I think we need to call on not only the attention of students, but also parents, um, you know, because... Yeah, I would say more often than not, than not, some of them play a role in this process. And, um, yeah, parents, we can't always know, as Sally said, how special your individual snowflake is in every way. But trust us that we can piece it together and figure it out. Yeah, we really can. And we are going to. And we know the information, by the way, that makes a difference to us. So okay. that's the hard part. What makes a difference to you might not be what makes a difference to us. Or, as I'm always telling, you know, I, I, I was working with this one family and the parents wanted, you know, to put in three or four additional recommendations. And I said, well, what are these going to do? And they said, they'll just let everybody know how great he is. And I'm like, won't the first two recommendations tell them that? <laughs> so you don't need five people to say that. And it's the I same know. concept with the essay. You right. Know? You're right. It's true. Parents, it's true. <laughs> all right and then just um i mean we have we have a couple minutes left but um like one of the other things i wanted to warn people to pay attention to is also don't try to be overly clever i was working with a really smart student like again just really smart kid and he was responding to an essay question about writing about a journey the essay prompt was all about taking a journey and what you learn from the journey and what you see when you arrive. So he decided that his journey would be taking place in a submarine. So I said, well, do you have any interest in submarines or in the ocean or marine biology? And he said, no. And I said, well, then why would you be writing about <laughs> taking a journey in a submarine? <laughs> so oh, don't geez. be overly clever. It's true. And I can envision, you know, I think too, Sally, it's, we may as well let people know that we, as the readers, can always tell when this has been overworked, right? When a student has just tried too hard to make things clever or to be funny when they're not or to be creative or to be whatever, whatever, that as a reader, we can always tell because it, it, it feels labored. And mm-hmm. so, you know, the goal is do not try to be anything that you are and that you are not. And I would absolutely agree. If you're not clever be. And there's no expectation that a student needs to be clever or witty or funny or unique. You know, just be you. Right. Yeah. And that sincerity is more important than any of the rest of that. If you're clever without sincerity, it doesn't come off well. Right. Yeah. Agree 100%. All right, so let's um let's wrap this up with the homework. What are you um what are you thinking about for your homework ap- assignment for students who are working on their application? Yeah, perfect. So what I'm thinking for in terms of homework um, is that if you've well, first of all, if you've written a dra- written a draft, thank you again. If you haven't, sit down, set a timer if you need to, and start writing. Um, Then, after that's been done, you've created a draft, give yourself a little bit of distance. Put it away for the rest of the day. Put it away for 12 hours. If you feel like you need a full 24, fine. Not so long that then you can't get yourself back into it, but long enough so that you can create a little bit of distance between you and the piece. And then, when it's time to revisit, again, in a timely fashion, Look at it with your editor hat on. Pretend like you've never seen it before. 
um, be your most harshest critic. And, critic. and so, you know, go ahead and review it as an editor. Um, and I would also encourage students to read it out loud. Um, I think a lot of times, and slowly, so that you don't self-correct things that are incorrect on the page. Um, you know, I think we oftentimes, things seem fine as you're reading it to yourself on a screen, and then you read it out loud, and you're like, wait a minute, I used there four times in the last two sentences, and that's wrong, or whatever it may be. Um, so that's what I would like people to do. Give yourself a little bit of distance, revisit with your editor hat on, be your harshest critic, and then go ahead and read it out loud. Mm-hmm. And then be willing to do the work to start the next draft. Absolutely. And my homework is, if we're thinking about the supplemental essays, like the essays that we were talking about, why are you interested in this particular college? When you're visiting these colleges, if you haven't already, write down special things that you remember about each school. Take notes while you're visiting. Uh, What did you most notice about it other than the city itself? Um, remember that the why this particular school essay is always about why that particular school, why the academic program, what about the students you saw? Not about the city, not about the awesome study abroad program to Italy you can take, but what about the school itself? Right. All right, great. So um, thanks so much, Kira. Schools yeah, Atlas. Um, Schools Out listeners, if you want to hear Kira and Ian's conversation about starting the essay process before following up on today's advice and homework, check out our June 30th show in the archives. We're going to take a short break now, but when we get back, we'll be talking with Amy Alexander about being recruited to play varsity college sports. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters the one in the envelope that says yes visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in you count tune into interrevolutionary radio and join the spontaneous wave of people all over the planet who like you are changing our world from the inside out Follow the movement. Meet guests who are shaking things up. Call in and gain insights and courage to empower your own voice. Large or small, your part counts. So join us. Co-hosted by Beth Green and James Maynard, Inner Revolutionary Radio airs live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. As I mentioned before our break, we'll now be talking to Amy Alexander about how to negotiate the athletic recruiting process. Welcome, Amy. Hi, Sally. Thanks for having me. Oh, thanks so much for coming on. I really appreciate it because uh, I worked at school. I never did athletic recruiting. I was not a college athlete, so <laughs> all this is, uh, you know, was a learning curve for me. Um, mm-hmm. So let's start by talking about what a high school senior should be doing now, like a rising senior. And I kind of wonder, is it too late? Because um, that's my sense is that it's pretty late in the process. But I have occasionally had families say, you know, my son's a pretty good athlete. You know, what should he be doing uh, right now if he wants to play football or swim in college? Well, so that's kind of two different questions. So if it's a senior that's already engaged with coaches and is already involved in the recruitment process, then there's a lot of things they should be doing. They think they just kind of wait until the fall when they send in their application, but they do want to be in touch with coaches with up-to-date athletic resumes, current times and achievements, um, any academic updates, the most recent transcript, test scores from this spring, either the ACT or SAT or the SAT2s or AP test results. Um, they should also go back and visit the colleges, uh, the coaches, the athletic facilities. Um, and, you know, they can sign up for an unofficial visit anytime, but go back and really be sure of the college that they're interested in. Coaches that are really interested in students will often encourage them to apply early, whether under the early action or early decision plan. So, you know, the students really have to be sure. Um, And there's a whole bunch of other things the students can be doing, like making sure that they sign up with the eligibility center and sending their SATs or ACTs. The student is responsible for doing that. Now, the guidance counselor will be responsible for sending the transcript to the NC2A eligibility center. But you want to make sure all of that stuff is done before your application hits the college admissions office. Um, but in terms of your, the second part of your question was, is it too late for a senior who hasn't had engagement already with a coach? Um, part of me says yes, but there's another part of me that says, it could be. It could be. It could not be too late because there are a lot of different ways to be involved um, with athletics. If a student has just decided on a college they hadn't originally decided on, um, they can only do walk-ons. You can always go to a college and walk on. And I went to Yale. I was the captain of the swim team my senior year. I was recruited. I went through this whole process. I was recruited to other schools, Division One scholarship schools. The Ivies don't give scholarships. We can get into that later. But uh, there was a girl who walked on my freshman year. And we were all at first like, wait a minute, who are you? You know, everyone here is swimming has been recruited. But I have to say she was just more of a bench warmer and a cheerleader her freshman year. But by junior year, she stuck with it. And 
gosh darn it, she actually scored points. Um, and she became a real part of the team. So you can be a walk-on. That can happen, um, especially for Division three schools or Ivy-type schools. Division mm-hmm. one and two that recruit, probably not so much. It's probably too late. Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, you know, you're telling that story reminds me, I had a student who was a soccer player, and he wasn't, I guess, quite fast enough to uh, play soccer, D3, but he ended up going to a very strong academic D3 school, and um, he ended up being a kicker on the football team, oh, which I so thought cool. was pretty cool, right? Yeah, yeah. So, And that's the other thing is, and we won't have time to get into it today, but you know, students, my son is a great example. He's a rising senior. He's number two singles on his tennis team, a very strong player. He's done summer camps. D2 and D3 have approached him. But he wants to go to a large D1 school, be a sports statistician or an analyst or a broadcaster or a journalist. So he won't be able to play in college. But he's told me, Mom, I'm going to play club or intramural. I'm going to continue with my sports. So there are other ways to participate than just at the varsity level. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really crucial. I mean, a lot of students really just want to play. And in that situation, a club team, I think, can actually work better than they think it will. It can be yeah. a really satisfying um, outlet for camaraderie and athleticism and that sort of thing. Yeah. And the other really, really important uh, point to get across here is obviously, you know, this piece is about recruited athletes, but, you know, I believe that students should really make sure that the college is the right fit overall. That's athletically, interpersonally, academically, because really your sports and injury can happen overnight. Your sports can disappear. Um, so you have to make sure that it's the right fit for the student. And a student might decide after going in on a scholarship of a D1 or a D2 school their first year that it's not for them. So they forego the scholarship the second year and decide to do intramurals or just try a different sport. Maybe they were um, a gymnast and now they try out for the diving team, right? And so lots of different things can happen. Um, So I think it's really, really important to um, make sure to find the right fit school overall and not choose it just for sports. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't. I always emphasize that with students. You know, the the bottom line is most of you are not going to be a recruit or are not going to play pro. If you're going to play pro, people have probably been noticing you for multiple years already. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, so just anticipate that you're going to play in college and you're going to have to make another plan afterwards. So based on that, you know that really the thing to do is to choose the school that's right for you. Yeah, and the other thing, you know, not just going pro, but, you know, the numbers, you know, you and I both, Sally, get calls every day. We're talking to people all over the country and at different levels. And, you know, I'll get a call saying, I just listened to your last um, about how great the student is or how great their child is. And I'll get calls all the time. Oh, my daughter's a great soccer player. She's a wonderful field hockey player. She wants to play in college. Well, the truth of the matter is uh, very, very few actually get recruited and actually get scholarship to go to college and play. Very mm-hmm. few. There's so many talented athletes. So um, for some, that's wonderful if it is going to be part of your process. But you really have to face reality and make sure to uh, contact coaches and see if coaches are interested in you. I had one family say, you know, they contacted us junior year. and We sent our resume and our information but we haven't heard from them. 
so, you know, should we keep calling them? And I'm like, well, that's an indicator that you're not really going to be a strong contributor to the team. And mm-hmm. if a coach is interested, a coach will be in touch. You know, a coach will be courting you. So that's an important thing to note as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a student of mine who was a top soccer player was signed with her uh, large, very good academically and athletically D1 school already in January. Like, I mean, I'm not even sure if that's legal, but, you know, it is. or follows it is, the rules. Actually, it is for a D1, right? So Yeah. One of my best friends in the next town over, Very, she was a strong swimmer at Boston College, but all of her kids took to land sports, which she and I don't understand. But, um, <laughs> you know, all of my kids did as well. But her daughter was recruited sophomore year. There was a likely, like, kind of a verbal agreement her sophomore year to go to UNC Chapel Hill, and she's there playing and doing beautifully. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, injuries can come into play and change things, but yes, soccer, rugby, football, some sports are as soon as sophomore, junior, early junior year. So that is legit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, she ended up there and, and was very happy as well. Um, so... You know, so that was that was a learning situation for me that, you know, everything worked out. She was a smart girl, so I knew she'd hand, land on our feet regardless. Um, but right. speaking of that, let's go ahead and sort of transition to if you like, let's say you're a student who's a rising junior, but you're not good enough that already in the fall of your junior year, you know, coaches have been in touch with you, but you still think you might be able to play. So, you know, how do you start the process? That's a good, that's a great question, and it's often over, very overwhelming for families. Really, the most important thing is to say, oh, should I wait? I'll wait till early senior year to get in touch with coaches. No, that's the wrong way of thinking. Really, as soon as you know you're interested, could be sophomore year, could be beginning of junior year, get in touch with a coach, and they're very easy to find. You know, just look online to the particular college, that sport. They'll give you the name of the coach, the assistant coach. It's usually the assistant coach that does the bulk of the early recruiting, but I would, you know, CC both coaches uh, on an email, send them an athletic resume, send them an academic resume, any information you have about grades or scores at that point, even if it's a PSAT or an early ACT, um, just to give them an idea so they know how you might fit. Um, with tennis, there's rankings, swimming, track, there's times. Um, other sports, you can send a highlight video. But as soon as you know you're interested, I would start contacting coaches. If you're not even sure what level you would be in, you know, you can go and do an early visit with a D3, small D3 or a larger D1 program and, and tell them your background. They'll give you a good indication. Coaches are pretty good about that. Um, and just start the process that way. But if you don't, if you wait, you often do miss the mark like we started in the beginning. So it's very important if you do think you want to participate to put together an athletic resume. There's a lot of good samples online. Um, put together a highlight video if you're in a sport that is not a set time or a ranking. Um, and contact coaches. Use your coach, your high school coach, or your private team, your AAU or private team coach. Use them. They often know where you might fit based on players they've worked with in the past. They might have relationships with coaches at the college level, and they can help kind of set you up in the right uh, arena, at least initially, and then help guide you through. Often Mm -hmm. I have uh, recruited athletes use their high school or their private team coaches as recommenders um, because they're spending so much time with the sport. That's another great idea. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I, what I found when I worked at a high school is that the football coach would actually even call other coaches on behalf of his players mm-hmm. to kind of figure, you know, sort of feel things out, like how likely is a player like this? And, you know, there was a lot of trust between these coaches, so it actually worked out. I think pretty well. And then our coach was able to tell the student pretty honestly, look, this school isn't going to happen for you or, you know, you should really go for it. It might happen here. Yeah. And and that does happen across all sports. And like I mentioned before, a personal example with my son with tennis, you know, we sent him after I think ninth grade and after 10th grade uh, to a couple camps. There were a couple uh, local camps in Pennsylvania, sports camps and coaches came to those. And they mm-hmm. approach the athletes during and after uh, the program and would tell them, we want you at our school. We see you at this level. And one coach came up to my son, who was a D2, and said, this is where you can play. You could maybe play kind of a lower D1 program, but, you know, you're not strong enough to hit the, the middle or the top D1. It was very helpful information at a young age for him to then help guide him to a realistic picture of what kind of college and how his sports would come into play with college. So those summer camps and programs are also great ideas if you, um, you know, if you have the time to fit those into your schedule. Mm-hmm. And so how much help will being an athletic recruit be in the admission process? Um, you know, one of the questions, I mean, certainly at University of Chicago where I worked, it's a D3 school, not known as a sports school, but it's still, as long as the student was strong academically, it would give them that boost from maybe, frankly, being a deny, but like a strong deny, a plausible, someone who could do the work kind of deny, and it would vault them into the admit category if the coaches wanted them enough. So, you know, what's your experience with this more broadly? Uh, definitely. Athletics plays a huge role. At Yale and the Ivy Leagues, which I'm, I was most familiar with, um, we called it a hook, right? There's, there's certain hooks you have. And that was definitely a hook, like you said, that gave it an extra read. Uh, also, if it was a student who, a student athlete who was recruited, the coaches then went uh, to the admissions office and had their list of five or ten and said, these are the student-athletes we really like. You know, if they're strong enough academically, we'd really like them in our program. They would be huge contributors. So if you were on one of those lists, oh, yeah, it really helped. It gave you that kind of little push or extra, you know, flag, if you will. Um, you know, but even at, so at Ivy's and D3 schools, people say, well, there's no athletic scholarship, so how can it help? But it really does, because think about it. They want to field sports teams, right? They want people to show up to their sporting events and, and you know, encourage and provide a school spirit, even at very, very small schools. So having athletics is a lot like a, a strong a musical ability or a theatrical ability or um, a specific science ability, you know, anything like that. Uh, like all of those things, it does, it can really help you in the process. If you're, but you have to be strong academically. For that yeah. particular school, you do have to meet their criteria. Now, you, you know, to be very honest, having worked at the Yale admissions office for four cycles, you, um, you know, some of your testing could be maybe more in the average category and not the higher category. It does give you a little leverage or a little leeway, but you do have to be in that range academically. Otherwise, it's just you're not, you're not going to benefit from being in that environment. It's not going to be a good fit for you. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. The only times I really pushed back is when I said, look, I'm just not convinced this student can do the work and it would be a disservice yeah. to him or her if we admitted them. It just really wouldn't yeah. be fair to them. So um, so we were strict about our athletic guidelines, but I, I mean, I think that's what you'd expect at University of Chicago or a place like Yale, certainly. So. Yeah, yeah. And we're talking about, you know, Chicago and Yale, which are pretty similar. When you look at other programs, D3 programs, or or really top D1 programs, I mean, athletics, especially at big D1 sports schools, um, it's a, it comes into play because this is where they're bringing in a lot of their money, right? You know, it's through selling seats and things like that at track meets, at football games, at baseball games, basketball. So that's a huge part of their process. And um Students who are recruited for those kinds of programs, you know, sometimes don't have to have quite the same uh, grades or scores. They have to be solid for that particular school, but they also have tutoring programs and things on campus to really help support them. Um, And D3 programs, you know, I've seen it a number of times with students I've worked with for the last 20 years where it really has helped. A student I thought, oh, I don't know having that, you know, high level of hockey or, or, you know, getting that award in ice skating or whatever has helped them get in. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we have to wrap this up now. But listen, thanks so much, Amy. I really appreciate it. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. Okay. So everyone, we're going to take a short break. But when we get back, Lori Peltier will be rejoining us to, will be joining us to discuss the financial details of transitioning to college. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. In this segment, Lori Peltier will be talking about all the financial issues involved with transitioning to college. Welcome, Lori. 
Hi, Sally. Happy to be here. Um, so let's go ahead. To, let's, as parents um, get prepared to send their child off to college, what steps should they be taking financially to make for a smooth transition? Like what, you know, what should they be thinking about first? Right. It is a pretty stressful time for families. And I know, you know, mid-August, you know, you're figuring out, packing up the car, trying to figure out what day you're going to move in, what dorm you're moving into. I think the most important thing is to make sure your bill is paid in full before you step foot on campus. There's nothing more embarrassing than showing up with all your boxes and bags and getting told at the desk that you can't have your room key because you have an unpaid bill. Just to be embarrassing all around for everyone. Most colleges will make some arrangements right then and there to um, give you the key and, and make sure the student can still stay and not have to get back in the car and drive home. But you just want to make sure that you've looked at everything and you have no outstanding balance. You've checked your, your bill online to make sure that everything's paid. I think in addition to that, you know, you, you have to have a discussion with your child about how it's going to work for money. How much money do they have to spend? What should they be spending their money on? What things do they need to communicate with their parents? Um, you know, large purchases or things like that. You don't want your child signing up for a credit card or signing up for a spring break trip to Mexico without first checking with their parent. Um, so although they have a lot more independence, and that's something that both parties have to get used to, um, they need to know that there are some restrictions that it's not sky's the limit. I think even going over certain scenarios, like if the student is off campus and they want to use an Uber or a Lyft to get back to campus, how is that going to work? Is it charged to the parent's credit card? Does the student have a credit card? Do they have a bank account on campus? Are they only dealing in cash? Do they have a debit card? So you really have to walk through, if the student needs cash or needs to use a credit card, how are they going to do that? And what permissions do they need um, from the parents for that? Mm-hmm. I would think even talking about some expectations, like we're paying for an on-campus meal plan, that means our expectation is you're only going to be eating off campus, you know, maybe once a week or, or maybe less than that, depending on the family's budget. Right, right. And even if the student has earned their own money over the summer, they still have to make that money last, you know, usually through the whole school year. You know, they've only got their summer earnings. They might not earn any money over Christmas break. So they've got to make all their summer earnings last from September to May without dipping into mom and dad. So, yeah, you know, how much are you spending off campus and how often are you going shopping and how many concerts or movies are you going to? That kind of thing. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Absolutely. Um, I've also I've heard that parents are surprised that the bill and the grades are all addressed to the student. So how do you change that? That's right. It's a huge surprise for many families when they realize not only the tuition bill, but the grades at the end of the semester are only to be seen by the student. It's because of this rule called the FERPA rule. Um, FERPA was put into place several years ago. It's a a federal government rule that says, you know, once the student's a college student, they're independent, they're on their own, they have their own privacy rules, and no one else should be able to see that information. But the student can sign a waiver to give their parents access. So that's something you'd want to talk to your student about. If they haven't done it already this summer or when they went for orientation, it's something they'll do the first couple days of school. So the student would sign off rights to their parent. And they may want to do it for both parents. If the parents are divorced, they really need to to make sure that, you know, whoever needs to see that information can see it. Otherwise, if mom and dad call the school and say, hey, can you tell me what my daughter's grades are or how much I owe on the bill, 
the school's going to say, sorry, you don't have access to that. Mm-hmm, <laughs> so, mm-hmm. it's right, and legally, that's how it works. It's not it's the school. A, yeah, the legal document, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, are there any other forms, important forms, that need to be completed before school starts? Oh, there's, a, there's a lot of forms that need to be completed, some of which, you know, if you deposited in May, you may have already completed some of these, but... Um, uh, so some of the forms that still need to be done might be a student loan promissory note. If the student's borrowing a student loan, um, it was probably offered to them on their financial aid award. It looks like it's in place, but they still need to do a promissory note for freshman year. They might have to do entrance counseling where they say they go through a little session online that teaches them about the loan and all their rights and responsibilities as a student loan borrower. There's a lot of forms to fill out about emergency contact information. You know, who should the school contact if, God forbid, there's an emergency? What about medical forms? Has the student had all their immunizations, and do they have um, a doctor's signature on that? Similar to when you start kindergarten, you need it when you start college as well to prove that you're healthy. And then there's also insurance waiver forms. The colleges will charge the student for health insurance unless the student can document and fill out a waiver form that they are covered by health insurance by their parents. And that health insurance waiver could be worth you know, $800 or $1,500, whatever the school is charging for their health insurance plan, if you don't fill out the waiver, you're going to get that added charge. In addition to that, if the student's doing a work-study job on campus or even, you know, getting any job um, at college, there's going to be payroll forms that the student will need to fill out to, um, to get them on the payroll, maybe direct deposit to have the paycheck directly deposited in, into their bank account, and then W-4 and I-9 forms, which are standard employment forms when you're hired to prove that you're a U.S. citizen. So depending on what kind of financial aid and you know, whether the student's going to have a job, there could be quite a few forms that are either filled out when they arrive on campus or ahead of time on the school's website. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually, I tell students, you know, as soon as you decided to go to a school, actually, as soon as you started the college admission process, if you haven't had a filing system before, you need to get one now. <laughs> exactly. So that you can keep track of all this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. It looks like every store these days is filled with back to school stuff and dorm room essentials. So how can a family manage that expense? I mean, I think people yeah. don't realize, oh, I need to get a comforter now or I need <laughs> sheets for an extra long single, you know, that right. sort of thing. Right, exactly. The extra long single is definitely a necessity. Um, and you, you walk into Target or Walmart or whatever, they have whole sections just for the dorm room. Um, it, it can be quite expensive. You know, I have a son and a daughter, and my daughter wanted, you know, special brands and special colors. My son could care less, so I was able to save a lot of money on his purchases, but I spent a lot on my daughter's. Um, the colleges will sometimes, some of the larger schools will send out a flyer of package deals that they have. They've worked with Bed Bath & Beyond or other um, department stores to come up with a package deal where everything is tied together, the laundry basket, the waste basket, the comforter, the sheets, the pillows, everything you could possibly imagine for the room. And there's different levels of um, packages at different prices. And some of them will even have them waiting for you in the room. It's, It's such a convenience and it's all matching, you know, all navy blue or all maroon or whatever, or it could be the school colors. So that's one option. If you haven't received something in the mail from the school yet, I would check with the resident's life department to see if they're going to do something. I had started to pick up stuff from my son's room um, 
just at random when I saw things on sale because he didn't care what color it was or anything. And then after I had bought almost everything, one of these flyers came in the mail, and I was kicking myself because it would have been easier to just get the package deal. The right. other thing that's available through some of these department stores, and I'm going to use Bed Bath & Beyond again because it's the most popular one, is that you can order in advance, kind of like a wedding registry, where you pick out what you want, and then when you get to your college campus, you go to the Bed Bath & Beyond that's near the campus and pick up all your stuff. It's all packaged together, and you just put it in the car and go. So you don't have to buy it at home and then ship it to school or you know, truck it with you across country. And I think most importantly, you know, talk to your roommate or roommates if you have more than one. You don't need two refrigerators. You don't need two TVs. You don't need two microwaves. So coordinate who's bringing what so you're not buying some of those big ticket items unnecessarily. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The ideal is, of course, if your roommate has all those. <laughs> so I had a roommate who was one of those very organized ones and had a fridge, had, you know, a microwave. And <laughs> so yeah. that's where I stored my yogurt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You yeah. left out. Yeah. Yeah. I absolutely did. Um, so what happens if a student was awarded a scholarship at high school graduation? When will they see that money? And, you know, what can they use it for? Is it just for tuition or, or what is it for? It really depends on the scholarship um, sponsor, who's sponsoring it. So let's say your high school PTA gave you a $500 scholarship. You found out about it at high school graduation. Um, Oftentimes, a smaller organization like that might just write a check to the student. So the student would get a check from the PTA for 500 bucks, and they would get it probably in August or beginning of September. If it's just coming to the student, go ahead and cash the check and use it for dorm essentials or buying books or whatever. But if it's a larger organization or a larger amount of money, oftentimes they're writing the check to both the school and the student. So they will confirm with the student over the summer, what institution are you attending in the fall? We want to write a check that's payable to both of you. So in that case, the school needs to know that that money is coming in. So you would have to forward a copy of the award from that organization saying that you won the scholarship to the financial aid office, the bursar's office at the college, so they know that money's coming in from this outside resource, and you wouldn't be able to just cash the check because the college's name is on it. Mm-hmm. All right, and so we just have about a minute, minute and a half left, but... Um Should students buy their books before arriving on campus? You know, if a student is really anxious and I want to say a little anal retentive, they they could definitely buy their books ahead of time um, by checking with the school's website for each class that they're registered for and what the required books are. But we've found that oftentimes faculty do not require all the books that they say they do. So you really find that out in the first day of class. So if you can hold off and wait until the first meeting of the class and really ask the professor, okay, you have three books listed here. Do we really need to buy all three books? And they might say, oh, you know what, I really never use that second one. Skip that. We're just going to buy book number one and book number three mm-hmm. so that you could save a lot of money. And if you're doing Amazon Prime or something like that to buy your books, they usually have second-day shipping. So, you know, you could get the books very quickly. And, you know, most kids don't have all the books they need first day of class. So if you mm-hmm. can wait, you can usually save some money. Well, and I, I mean, I've been taking some graduate classes and renting the books is extremely mm-hmm. cheap. Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes you want to have them. If it's in your major, you might yeah. need to build on the knowledge in the book. But if it isn't, you right. might just be able to rent it. So. Right. And they even send you an envelope to ship it back. When you're done at the end of the semester, they send you email reminders 
on this date is when the book is due back. So when you're done your semester, you put it back in the envelope and you ship it back to them and it's gone. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, and it works extremely well. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, I think that covers it for today. So thanks so much, Lori. You're welcome. All right. And thank you to the rest of my guests today. Now, I want to tell you about our show next week. We'll be featuring another Schools Out segment, as well as discussing how to pay for college for multiple kids and talking about challenges and resources available for first-generation kids to college. So be sure to to tune in. And finally, I want to remind you that you don't have to listen to our shows live. Every show is accessible 24-7 on the Voice America website. And you can also download every show for free on iTunes. If you check out the archives... You'll find past shows featuring the Schools Out segments, which began on June 30th. You'll also find segments on how to budget for college, the International Baccalaureate curriculum in the United States high schools, and more. Also, if you like our show, please do us a favor and be sure to rate us on iTunes. It only takes a moment of your time, and it is free to do so. And last... Uh, please don't forget, we're here every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time. Check us out. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. Please join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week. Thank you.